central promise in the book of Joshua. Jason Bobo was here last week to preach to us from Joshua chapter two. I'm gonna take us back to Joshua chapter one because it is a foundational chapter in the whole of the book. And as I read it, I want you to give attention to the indicative and the imperatives in this passage. The indicatives are those things that God has done. The imperatives are those things that he commands us to do. I want you to note the relationship between the indicative and the imperative in Joshua chapter one. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. In the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan River toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord be your God, be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. 90 days from today, the excitement brews. 
the people we love, the traditions, the pageants, the parties, the ugly sweaters. 90, today, 90 days from today, of course, is Christmas. What my children love the most about Christmas, of course, is what? The presents. And have you ever noticed that when you give a present to a child, you don't have to tell them what to do with it? Like, can you imagine, can you imagine giving a present to a child and a, and a child were to take this present, something perhaps that they really wanted, and they look at it and they go, Ugh, I can't do that. That's too hard. The bow is taped on there. I can't unwrap it. What if I get a paper cut? I just want to keep it there. When you get presents at Christmas, what do you do with them? There are three steps to having a present at Christmas. You take it, physically take it in your hands. You acknowledge the person that gave it to you with a thank you. And then you unwrap the present. Children instinctively know how to unwrap the presents. But the book of Joshua teaches us that Christians are given gifts and they do not know how to unwrap them. The entirety of the book of Joshua is about this promise. The Lord your God is with you. And the interesting thing about Joshua chapter 1 is that it's so foundational to the entirety of the book. You could spend 10 sermons on this chapter. Notice that indicative imperative relationships in Joshua chapter 1. The Lord says, I give you this land. It is yours. And then what does he say to Joshua and Israel? Now take it. How do you take what is given? How are you to live the Christian life that has been given to you? Because friends, listen, this sermon comes out of the depth of my soul because I've been given many great gifts. And like a silly child at Christmas, I just push the box away and say, I don't know if I can unwrap that. God gives you his promises. And Joshua 21 says, not one of his promises fail. Literally in Hebrew, it means not one of his promises fell, alluding back to the fall of Jericho. Not one of them falls. Not one. But yet when God gives you gifts, sometimes you just say, ah, that's just, I don't know if I can do that. How do you take what's given to you? Isn't it interesting the whole book of Joshua? The whole book of Joshua is actually a theological book written for Israel. Yes, it's historically true, 100% true, and more and more archaeological evidence is finding this out. But the entire book of Joshua, which was had begun to be written not long after the events which took place here and is finished during the exile. The entirety of the book of Joshua is a theological, theological encouragement to help Christian people understand their sanctification. How to take what is given to you. So this morning, I want to spend time asking that question. It's incredibly important for us. It's very important for us because there are many, many people who feel like, listen, 
I have been justified by faith. I know my theology. I know it's, 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 it's a gift. There's nothing I can do to receive or earn my salvation except receive it by faith. There's nothing that I can do. But then we struggle with what to do after that. And God gives us very, very clear commands. And we go, ah, I'm not under the law anymore. I just don't know if I need to do that. Mm. Leaving a gift unwrapped is silly. Tear it open. So, what has God given us? And how do you unwrap the gift? That's how I want to talk about Joshua chapter 1 this morning. How do you participate in God's unfailing promises? Your unyielding participation in God's unfailing promises. That's the dynamic of Joshua chapter 1. Let's look. We saw two weeks ago that God gives us unfailing promises. Several million people are on the east side of the Jordan River waiting to go over the Jordan to take the land. Several million people. Imagine a massive tent city, the edge of which you cannot see with the naked eye. And here they are people without a leader. Their great leader, Moses, the servant of the Lord, the one who was given this most auspicious title, the servant of the Lord, is dead. And now they have Joshua, <laughs> Moses' assistant, the son of Nun. And Joshua is to take them into the land. And God says to Joshua, Joshua, all the promises that I gave to Moses, I'm going to give to you. And the book of Joshua is not, is not about the Canaanites. The book of Joshua is not about the people of Israel. The book of Joshua is not about the cities that they conquer, which we'll read about in the coming weeks. The issue in the book of Joshua is who is with them? The point of our journey, the point of Israel's journey, is that God's presence is here. The point of your Christian journey is that Jesus' presence is here. The issue is not what are the obstacles we have to overcome. The issue is who is with you. God promises to give them this land, and this land is their health, it is their salvation, it is their future hope. It is where they will live, it is where they will begin to have life with Him, and have life with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. It is for us the land that God promises to give us by helping us subdue our sin reigning in our lives now, and the land that He will give us one day, someday, when we are with our loved ones who have gone before us in the new Jerusalem, when we will together have the whole of our hearts be subdued under the righteous reign of King Jesus. That is all the land means, which is worth a thousand hours of reflection. The land for us is more than just a geopolitical place. The land for us is God's unfailing promised presence in our lives. And it is our unyielding participation in those covenant promises. Now, what has God given us? God has given us not the land. The gift God has given us is His presence. I am the Lord your God. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
And there's good news, he is with you. And there's bad news, that while we have these amazing promises, unfailing Joshua chapter 21, unfailing covenant promises, we ourselves are promise breakers. By nature, all of us are promise breakers. Even though God's promises never fail, they are given to us who by nature break promises. When we break a promise, what does it mean? In Joshua 21, it says not one of God's promises fell. When we break a promise, it means the same thing. It means that, that our promises, our words, our commitments fall. So if you break a promise in your marriage, your marriage falls. If you break a promise to your church, your church falls, becomes weaker, quite literally. When you break a promise, your promise falls. And some of us, listen, friends, some of us, our promises fall like bricks because we are promise breakers. Ever since the very beginning of the garden, when Eve chose to listen, not to the counsel of the Lord, but to listen to the counsel of the serpent, we have become instinctively promise breakers. Part of the reason why we break our promises to God is because it's as though we actually never heard him. We have attention deficit disorder when it comes to his word. It says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You don't meditate on it day and night in order for God to give you the land. No, he's already given it to you. He says, I've given this land to you. So therefore meditate on my word. It's as though sometimes you don't hear him. When I asked Lauren to marry me, it was in South Texas in a log cabin on a ranch. And we drove out to this log cabin and there are rose petals as you walk into the cabin and there were all these candles lit and there were chocolate covered strawberries. I know, I know, was, I was a helpless romantic. And I um, read to her a passage that was really meaningful to me in, um, in a book. And then I got down on one knee in this log cabin and I asked Lauren to marry me. And can you imagine if Lauren were to look at me and say, do you think these logs are cedar or pine? That is how it is with us and Jesus all the time. Jesus says, would you obey my word because of all that I've given to you? And we say, do you think that she really meant that on Facebook? Like, no, no, Jesus, thank you very much. But have you seen, have you seen the way they act? And Jesus says, I want you to obey what I've asked you to do. No, but have you seen what else they have? I don't have that. No, I want you to do what I've asked you to do. Jesus has given you a gift, his presence. And he's asked you through joyful obedience to his word to unwrap it. And we like silly children, just keep the box in front of us and oh, I can't. Are those logs cedar or pine? The promises of God come to us without condition. 
The ground of the promise of God is God's character and God's grace. There is no other ground of the promise. Not your good behavior, not God looking through the corridor of time to see you respond in a positive way to something he has set up. The ground of his promises to you are his character. But the means by which we enjoy them is our faith. And we participate in the ground of the promise by means of our faith and our faithfulness in obedience to his word. And God gives promises, and we are to respond in faith, believing him at his word. Five times in Joshua chapter 1, he gives us an indicative imperative relationship. Notice in verse 2, the land will be given to us. Arise, go over this Jordan. Verse 5, just as I was with Moses, so I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. The land that the Lord your God has given to you, verse 11, he's given to you to possess. You are to pass over the Jordan and take possession of the land. Verse 14, tribes on the side of the Jordan. Listen, the land is yours, but I want you to go arm yourself with your brothers to help them conquer their land and then return to yours on the east side of the Jordan. Verse 17, the Lord is with you. Be strong and courageous. And in the summary in verse 15, take possession of the land. Take what's given. Tear open the package. Take possession of the land that the Lord God has given you. God has given us his presence to be with us on this journey. The gift is his presence, and it is enough for you. And Joshua, do you know Joshua didn't used to always be named Joshua? Remember when he went across with the spies into Canaan, right? Spies like us, as Bobo talked about. The, early, the first generation of the spies, 40 years ago. His name was Hosea. He saves, I save. And Moses changed his name in Numbers 13, 16. You shall no longer be called Hosea, you shall be called Joshua. The Lord saves. And that name change is in essence the story of your life. The story of some of your lives this very morning. Coming to the end of your own means of salvation and moving from I save to moving to God saves. Because God has given you this great gift, the gift of his presence. And your joy, your unmitigated, unrivaled joy in the world is found in your faithful obedience to those commands. That is the gift that is given to you. It is God's presence. Now, how do you unwrap it? How do you do that? This question brings us to a very important question in broader evangelicalism today, in broader society today, certainly in our circles. And that is the question of the relationship between justification by faith alone and sanctification. Justification by faith alone is this idea that God declares, announces that you are righteous. It is not from the old Latin word facare, to make righteous, as the Latin fathers used to believe and as many people still do believe. You do not make yourself righteous through the sacraments of the church. The word diakosune in Greek literally means to declare righteous. You are being declared righteous by God. 
you are justified in his sight. It is a gift freely given to you, freely offered to you with zero conditions. God does not love you because of your faith. God loves you because he loves you. He is, I am. Your faith is the means by which you enjoy those covenant promises. It is the instrument through which you understand those promises to be yours. But you are saved because you are in Christ, not because of your faith in Christ. There is nothing you do to merit your salvation. It is freely given to you as a gift. But the indicative, your justification, there are imperatives, your sanctification. And sanctification is the progressive work of God and man, which makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. The Bible's way of describing God's promises are always through action. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to be good without first telling you why and how. And the land promises... Now in light of God's work, the land promises to be a picture of what your life is like as you are made more and more like Jesus. The indicative always precedes the imperative in the Bible. This cannot be overemphasized. And Joshua, therefore, is a book about how we take possession of what is already ours. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, It is God's work to sanctify you wholly, as we heard read earlier. Our part is both passive and it is active. We receive by faith the promise that is given us, but we actively obey His command. My daughter Annie got glasses this week. And if you've ever gotten glasses, you know that there's a transition when you're trying to adjust your sight. Annie got new glasses, and within a couple of days, she had to have them adjusted because as her eyes adjust to these new glasses, she needs to have her frames adjusted to fit her head, to be more and more comfortable, to be able to see. Sanctification, friends, is a fight for clarity, to fight for you to understand the gospel's implication in every sphere of your life. It's like having new glasses and having to go back to the doctor again and again to make small micro adjustments on your frame so that they rest more correctly on your head. Some people who are passive in their sanctification just say, let go and let God. That is not a good motto for the Christian life. And it is not a good picture of our sanctification. The picture of our sanctification in Christ is this. Hold on to God for everything you have because His promises are true. That's a picture of your sanctification. Not let go, let God. Listen, we're good. We don't need to obey. No, it's hold on for everything you've got because His promises are yours and they never fail. Unwrap the gift. Obey what He's called you to do. I want you to listen to some of the verbs in the New Testament. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. 1 John 3.3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Listen to all these imperatives. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Since we have these great promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 2 Timothy 5, 1, 5 to 7 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, what keeps these passages of the Bible from just being merely moral aphorisms? being something that you would read in Emily Post or Miss Manners. The imperative is always preceded by the indicative. What God tells you to do is always preceded by the new heart God has said he has given you to obey these commands. He's given you a new life. He's leading you into the land. He will be with you. Christian holiness is not niceness. Christian living, rather, is not niceness. It is holiness. And there is a huge difference. If you think Christian, to be Christian, means to be a Christian is to have, behave nice or be a Christian with ethics, you're wrong. To be a Christian means to be holy, I'm going to say that again. If you think being a Christian is merely being ethical, you are wrong. Being a Christian means that you are holy. He has set up his throne in your life and he has told us to take what has been given. Sometimes sanctification is not nice. It is holy because that's what Jesus did for you. He wasn't nice. He was holy. And he left the 99 and he came and got you if you're in Christ. And he broke you, that's not very nice, of yourself. And he changed your name from Hosea to Joshua. And he said, I'm giving you this gift. It is the thing you've always longed for. Now, I don't just want you to take it from me and say thank you. I want you to tear it open. Jesus Christ is God's great indicative given to us. Without him, the imperatives of our life are just worn out old morality. But with him, the imperatives of the gospel, of scripture, are our hope and our joy. With Christ, the great warrior indicative, he has come to you to open up for you a new way of living. He has given you a package and said, tear it open. It is a whole new way of adjusting your sight through obeying what he commands you to do. Never in order to get his love and affection, always because he loves you and therefore has given you his indwelling spirit and empowers you to obey the commands he calls you to obey. 
So you need to hear his commands. You need to be strong and courageous. The book of Joshua doesn't end with a God giving them a promise. I've given you a land. The entirety of the book is their sanctification, going to take possession of what was theirs already. We have hope. We have hope that the Lord has gone before us, that he has been our great indicative to do for us what we can never do. And he has given us not just a call to be holy, but he has called us to be holy because he has given us his very holiness. And it is our working out through our lives. The Wall Street Journal just this week had an article about executive coaching and how it is good to begin to mirror those people with whom you do work. To begin, teams naturally begin to mirror each other. They begin to talk like each other. They begin to have the same mannerisms. And they're studying this in universities across the nation of how an executive functioning offices, the executives who team up begin to look like each other. That's just sanctification at work. You begin to look like your savior over time. And if you're like me, that process is painfully slow. Because Isaiah 64, 6 says what? Even your best deeds are like filthy rags. So against an infinitely holy God, how righteous can your good deeds actually be? They're not. But because his presence is with you, he calls you to be holy. And because his holiness has been given to you in his righteousness, he empowers you to obey his word, to become progressively more and more like him. Not because it changes your value, but because it changes your reflection of your Savior. And because it gives you joy. Sanctification matters. The human heart, wrote John Calvin, has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood lurks, is so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy that it often deceives itself. This book, the book of Joshua, is the book to help you fight on. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth turning aside from all of your idols that occupy your hearts. All the things that are the Canaanites in your lives that keep us from grasping the land. We turn aside from them and we defeat them with the joy of the one who reigns forever in the land of promise and with whom we reign and with whom we are with. Jesus is the gift of Christmas, of course. His birth is the reason why we celebrate. And we are given amazing gifts in his perfect life and his sacrificial and atoning death for us. They are given to us. They are our justification. We are in the family that never changes. But you are to unwrap the gifts, the gift of his presence. So tear it open, Trinity. Obey his commands with joy and love. I've given you this land. Now go and be strong and courageous. Rip off the bow, tear open the package. And there should be wrapping paper strewn all over your house. It is for your Savior's joy and glory and for your own 
So we take the land that's been given to us. We take what's given. Tear it open. See your Savior's love for you. Be empowered by his justifying work in your life. And with joy, be strong and courageous. Amen. Father, we pray that you will help us as a church to see that you, Jesus, are the great indicative that behind every promise in Scripture, Jesus, there you stand, having fulfilled every single one of them for sinners like me, sinners who become saints through your work. Father, help us, like Israel on the eastern edge of the Jordan, to hear your covenant promises and not merely stay on the eastern side of the Jordan, but help us with reckless abandon, with courage and strength to run across that Jordan to obey you at your word. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that your promise of presence is the great promise of Scripture, and it is ours in your Son, Jesus. Amen.